Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy is where we will be today. We'll start in chapter 4, Deuteronomy. Our key concept this morning is look back before you leap forward. That is what Moses is telling the children of Israel in the book of Deuteronomy. Look back before you leap forward. Deuteronomy is a series of messages that Moses gives to the children of Israel, the second generation of the children of Israel. And as we come to the book of Deuteronomy, we, we ask the question initially, well, what does this mean, Deuteronomy? What kind of name is that for a book? It's a strange word. And we need to understand that in the Hebrew Scriptures, the names of the books of the Hebrew Scriptures in the Torah, for, for particularly in the first five books of the Bible, the names are taken from the first sentence in the passage. And so the first sentence of Deuteronomy is, these are the words Moses spoke to Israel. And so the name of what we call Deuteronomy in the Hebrew scriptures is the words. But when the, the scriptures were translated from Hebrew to Greek, the Greek translators decided that a new name would be more appropriate. And particularly as they came to chapter 5 of Deuteronomy, and they saw that in chapter 5 we have a restatement of the Ten Commandments. And then as we read following uh, that restatement of the Ten Commandments, there is a reintroduction of many of the laws, the rules, and the regulations that we've already seen in Leviticus and Exodus and that kind of thing. And so the Greek translators used their word second, deutero, and law, nomos, they kind of put them together and they call this Deuteronomy. It means the second law or the second telling of the law. Moses is repeating the laws, starting with the Ten Commandments and all the other laws that he gave uh, to Israel, to now the second generation, the generation that has grown up in the wilderness. Many of them were born in the wilderness because you remember that in the book of Numbers, their parents rebelled against the will of God. They refused to go into the promised land, thinking that their children would be in danger. But God, in reaction to that, condemned them to wander the desert until all of that generation, except a very few, passed away. And now it is their children that he will bring into the land. This second generation is at the border of the land as we open the book of Deuteronomy. But they're not in the same place that their parents were. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. He promises that to Joshua and to the nation. And so what we'll see when we get to the book of Joshua is he takes them through a series of repeated actions that are just like what the first generation went through. One of those is walking across water in miraculous uh, deliverance of dry land. So he's locating them in a place where he can demonstrate that. But while they're camped over the, in the eastern side of the, the Jordan River, Moses delivers this speech, a series of speeches, really. And the essence of it is recorded in chapter 4, verses 39 and 40. We will focus there. Here's what Moses says. Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth below. There is no other. Keep his decrees and commands which I am giving you today so that it might go well with you and your children after you, that you may live long in the land that the Lord gives you for all time. You need to remember that Moses is 120 years old when he stands and delivers these speeches. 
He's 120, but his energy has not flagged. His passion has not lessened. He's filled with zeal that this generation understand the purposes of God. And so at 120 years, age, years of age, he calls them to attention and gives them speeches. I wonder what I'm going to be doing when I'm 120. <laughs> How about you? Some of us don't age that well, as well as Moses. It reminds me of a story about three elderly sisters who were living together. They were ages 92, 93, and 96. And one night, the older sister, the 96-year-old, was upstairs in the house going to take a bath. And when she stepped over the lip of that tub and into the bath, she paused. And in that moment, she got confused. And she called out, Was I going in or getting out? <laughs> and the 93-year-old downstairs said, I don't know, I'll come up and help you. And she stepped on that first step of the stairs and she paused. And she got confused. Was I going up or coming down? And the 92-year-old was in the kitchen listening to all of this, and she said to herself, I hope I never get like that, knock on wood. And she knocked on wood, and she said, I'll come help you guys as soon as I see who's at the door. <laughs> well, thankfully, Moses is sharper than that. And he stands and he gives them a statement of the way of life that God expects for them. You see, this generation's parents were on the plains of Sinai when Moses got the original Ten Commandments, when Moses received the law, and he stood and he told them, their parents, the law and the Ten Commandments. And in Exodus chapter 24, verse 3, it says, And they said, Everything that the Lord has said, we will do. And that statement, all throughout the Scriptures, and this image becomes extremely important when we're going to get to the prophets because it is the prophets who stand and say over and over again you have been unfaithful you are married in the sense in this covenanted relationship to God and you have been unfaithful but now this second generation they were just kids back at Sinai if they were even there and now they have to enter into that covenant relationship for themselves you see God has no grandchildren they have to agree to follow for themselves. They can't inherit it. They can't catch it from their parents. Just like our children have to come to faith for themselves. They can't inherit it. They can't catch it from you. It must be a personal decision to believe. This outlines the expectations in the speeches in Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy becomes foundational for the, uh, for the theology of the Old Testament. When the prophets come later and they speak of God's expectations for the people, they describe him in ways that spring right from Deuteronomy. When they bring warnings and the promises, it's right from Deuteronomy. Jesus, when he's tempted in the, in the wilderness by Satan, quotes Deuteronomy to strengthen himself. Deuteronomy calls for absolute devotion to God on the part of his people. Deuteronomy says you must not tolerate any combination of pagan ideas or pagan practices in your lifestyle or your worship with God. You must be wholly devoted to God, pure in His sight, because there is one God in heaven and on earth. Amen. One God, and you worship Him alone. Deuteronomy reminds them that there is blessing in obedience, but there is punishment in disobedience. And everything about their future rests on their understanding of the expectations of God. And so Moses, to show them 
the call to obedience. In the first portion of this book, the first section of his talk says, look back and remember what God has done. That first section runs from chapter 1, verse 1, to chapter 4, verse 43. These people he's talking to weren't there for much of what God has done. They didn't see it. Only Moses, Caleb, and Joshua, they're the ones who are members of the previous generation. And now this generation that were born and raised wandering in the desert, they must be hungry for conquest. They must be ready to get on with it. We've heard about this promised land our whole life. Moses stands and says, first, let's talk about God's expectations. That first section, this look back and remember what God has done section, can be summarized in a verse found in chapter 2, verse 7. This is what he wants them to know. He says, the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He has watched over your journey through this vast desert. These 40 years the Lord your God has been with you, and you have not lacked anything. God has been your provision. God has been your strength. You would never have made it if it wasn't for the Lord your God giving you direction and helping you out. Moses has been the leader that whole time, molding and and shaping them into a nation. And now it's almost as if they are all his children. And this is the graduation speech as they graduate into the life that he has intended to them. And he says, remember, all of this happened to prepare you for what you're going to face. But one question arises in this first section as Moses reminds them of God's blessing. And the question is, why? Are we the ones that are delivered from Egypt? And why are are we brought to the promised land? And the answer to that question is given back in chapter 4, verse 37. Here's why. In fact, it's given a number of times, but in this first section, here's where we find it. This is the answer to the question, why? Because he loved your forefathers and chose their descendants after them. He brought you out of Egypt by his presence and his great strength to drive out before you nations greater and stronger than you and to bring you into their land to give it to you for your inheritance as it is today. Now, if you listen carefully, you'll see that there's actually two reasons there. There's one overarching reason, one huge big reason why you are the chosen people, and it's simply God's sovereign love, God's sovereign choice on your life. No, think nothing about yourself. You're not that attractive. You're not that talented. You're not that good-looking. You're not that, you know, able. It is because he simply chose you. But there's a sub-reason there, a smaller purpose tucked away in the explanation, and that is so that you can be the arm of God's punishment against the nations in the land and the evil that they show. And they will be that. Deuteronomy 7. Here's the big reason. Chapter 7, verse 7. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. See, the point he's hammering on over and over again in this section is do not allow pride to enter into this equation. Do not think that you're so good you stayed alive in the desert for 40 years. Don't think you're so mighty that you're going to go in there and conquer all these lands. All of this is because of God's sovereign choice, not your works. Be careful not to be pride, prideful and be careful to remain pure 
because you're going to see things in the land that you've never seen before. And it is because of those things that you will see in the land that those peoples are being punished. He's very specific about it in Deuteronomy 18. I'm just going to jump ahead and read this to you because I want you to understand that what Moses is calling the people to is to be the opposite of what they will see in the land. You are to be the mirror image of what has developed in those cultures. And it is because of that that you will be my arm of punishment. Listen to 18 verse 10. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, who interprets omens, who engages in witchcraft, who casts spells, who is a medium or a spiritist or consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord, and because of these detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. You must be blameless before the Lord your God. Look back and remember that God chose you and he's going to use you. You must remain free from pride and pure. And that brings us to the look up section from chapter 4, verse 44 to chapter 26, verse 19. This is the retelling of the law. When I say look up, I mean look up and recognize that God has expectations for you. God has lifestyle expectations for you. When you respond to the extension of the love of God and his sovereign choice, that brings an expectation that you will live out a life that demonstrates that you love God back. And that's what he does for the bulk of this book, explain what that kind of life looks like. And and in chapter 5, verse 1, we can see it beginning. It says, Moses summoned all Israel and said, Hear, O Israel, the decrees of the laws I declare to you in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord your God made a, our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our fathers that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. First one, you remember that some of these people weren't even born yet. And many of these, if they were born, they were just children at Mount Sinai. What he's stressing is the idea that the covenant that God has with his chosen people, this is not a thing just for your parents. It's not a thing just for your fathers. It's nothing that you can just kind of say, well, that's their thing, they got something new. God is making that again with you, with you personally, face to face. He wants you to follow his law. You are part of this covenant. And so he begins by demonstrating that the promise carries over to the next generation. And he outlines the Ten Commandments in chapter 5. The Ten Commandments that he gave back in Exodus chapter 20 to their parents. And then he moves on and gives the, the rules and the regulations that he gave to their parents back in Exodus and Leviticus on how to live and how to honor God. He gives it all again to this second generation. And we don't have time to go through all those uh, rules and regulations, but I do want you to, to notice Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, because here's the foundation for them all. This is why it all matters. Deuteronomy 6, 4, you'll recognize it when I read it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your homes and on your gates. 
All of these rules and regulations that you are to follow, the laws of worship and purity and lifestyle, all these laws are an expression of your love for God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. You already know that the reason you're being blessed this way is because God sovereignly chose to love you. He loved you first. And now, this covenant you're entering into is a covenant of love. He's asking you to love Him back. That's exactly what God is asking of us. Love me back. I loved you enough to die on the cross. I loved you enough to provide redemption and forgiveness. Love me back. And what does love look like? In action, it looks like the kind of life that God describes for us to live. Love the way I ask you to love by living the way I ask you to live. In reality, the entire Bible is about God's mercy and God's love and about our response to it. When you read the rules and regulations in in Deuteronomy, don't think that God is trying to construct a system so that they can somehow be good enough to impress Him, as if they can keep the law just perfectly and then they'll be all right. No, God knows they won't be all right. He knows they won't keep the law. He recognizes that really it's all of mercy. It's if mercy that He chose them. It's mercy that He gives them the law. And it's mercy that He allows them to know His expectations. Now, love me back. And they've already rebelled. They've already worshipped idols, grumbled and murmured, but still God loves them. And He's demonstrating mercy by asking for love. And He's demonstrating future mercy by creating them as a nation because this will be the doorway through which the merciful Messiah will come for all. It's all about mercy. We don't dare skip this section and say, well, that's all Jewish stuff. And transmit that covenant relationship of love to the next generation and the next and the next because you can't inherit it. You have to choose it. And Moses is asking them to choose. There's a few things about the laws that we note Principle one, the laws are extensive. They cover every area of life. And the lesson is there's no part of you that's off limits for God. There's no part of your life that you can say, sorry, you can't touch this. This is mine, mine alone. No, God says, I own it all. I see it all. I'm involved in it all. The second principle is the laws are all jumbled. They're all jumbled together. It's weird. When, when we as Western readers read Deuteronomy, it's troubling almost. Because we like categories. I like, you know... Laws about, you know, civil society, laws about job, laws about family, law, whatever, those religious laws, these columns. I wish everything would be in a column so I would know what he's talking about. But he doesn't give it that way. It's all jumbled together. There's a law about how to treat your slave right next to the law, about how to worship right next to the law, about how to dig a latrine. It's all jumbled in there. And you're like, what? And, and again, the message is this. Life is not compartmentalized. You don't walk into a room, now I'm with God, and into another room, now I'm not. It's all jumbled together. God is integrated through everything that we do. And then the purpose of the law, the principle of the purpose, and it's stated in verse 3 of chapter 6, it says, that it may go well with you. That's why they have the laws. That it may go well with you. The laws are for their blessing. God knows how he's designed them to live. And if you live this way, it will go well with you. And that's what I want for you. That's what God is saying. And he says the same thing for us. I have designed you to live a certain way. When you live that way, it will go well with you. When you don't, it won't. God's purpose is a loving purpose. God doesn't give laws and rules and regulations or standards of righteousness and right living today. He doesn't give that to hem us in or to show us who's boss, to push us around. He gives it because he knows this is the way of blessing, that it may go well. 
Well, that's the look-up section, and it's the ex extensive most part of this book. But if you go to chapter 27 in Deuteronomy, we're starting the look-ahead section. This section is his focusing on what's coming in the land, what they need to be doing, what they need to be expecting as they go into the, into the promised land and live there. And it's a series of, of prophecies and predictions, and basically they take this pattern. If you do good, this is what you'll face. If you do bad, this is what you'll face. And in chapter 28, we see some pro particularly prophetic moments. In chapter 28, he's saying, this is what will happen if you rebel. And I want you to focus on verse 49. This is what will happen if you rebel and you do not continue simply to worship the one true God who is the God of heaven and the God of earth. If you do something else, Verse 49, the Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the ends of the earth, like an eagle swooping down, a nation whose language you will not understand, a fierce-looking nation without respect for the old or pity for the young, and they will devour the young of your livestock and crops and your land until you are destroyed. They will leave no grain, new wine, or oil, nor calves, or herds, or lambs, or flocks until you are ruined. They will lay siege to all the cities throughout your land until the high fortified walls in which you trust fall down. And that is the exact scenario that happens in the years to come because the people do rebel. It's the Babylonians, and then it's the Greeks under Alexander the Great. And finally, it's a nation who's carried their battle standard was exactly an eagle. The Lord will send you back in ships to Egypt on a journey I said you should never make again. There you will offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but no one will buy you. So if you don't live according to the, the expectations that God is putting in place, not only will it be bad, you will reverse everything that has happened in the last 40 years. And you're going to end up back in Egypt trying to be slaves. But you won't be slaves. Now you have to ask yourself, did that ever happen? It happened twice. In 586 B.C., the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem. When we get to the prophets and the history books, we'll talk about it. They pulled down its walls and they carried most of the population off into captivity, but they left some that they didn't want. Scared, alone, and afraid. You know what they did? Prophet Jeremiah with them and against his will. And that's where we think he died. And it happened again after the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. when General Titus and the Romans once again destroyed Jerusalem and leveled the buildings and the walls. And those 17 or older, many of them, were shipped back to Egypt as slaves to work the Roman mines. The Romans were in charge of Egypt at that time. The slave market became so glutted that the slaves became worthless and it was better, more profitable for the slave masters just to kill them. Things lure your affections away from the God who is the God of the earth and the heaven. God is a jealous God for those who love him, but it is a great threat for those who play games. The message is don't play games. And he comes to a crescendo in chapter 30, verse 19. It says, This day I call heaven and earth as witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. He's saying you can go either way here. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice, hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In the next few chapters, Moses sings to them. Chapter 32 and 33, 
You see they're printed different in your Bibles, probably. They're poems. Either he's singing that or he's reciting that. But by the time he gets to chapter 34, he has either he has sung or said everything that needs to be said. And God sends him up on Mount Nebo, which we call Pisgah. And he has him look over the land. Verse 4 of 34. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes. And in reality, Moses did set foot in the land. And Moses is able to look around the promised land and to see his people in it and his Savior standing right next to him. God is a God of mercy. God himself dug Moses' grave. We don't know where it is because God understands that we are easily prone to idolatry. And the people would probably start worshiping Moses in the memory of Moses and his grave. It's the same reason we don't have the original manuscripts of the text of Scripture. We are too prone to worship things. But God is the one true God of heaven and earth, and he will not share worship. When 20 years old, Moses dies. Interesting to me, we know very little about most of his years. We know a lot about his first few months of life. We know a lot about his 40th year when he committed murder and had to flee as a fugitive. We know a lot about his 80th year when he led the people out in freedom. And we know a lot about this ending here. But in between, yeah, little bits and pieces, but not a whole lot. But when you put the whole story together, you see a life of redemption. You see new starts after massive failures. And finally, you see a life of greatness due to radical obedience to God and God alone. And I'd like that to be our story as well. We've all had the first part, right? Massive failures. We've all had that. Now with the words of Moses in our ears, choose life. We need to choose the second part, to live lives of radical obedience out of a radical love for God. What comes out of that kind of life is greatness for the glory of God. And that's what I want for us.